Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's October 30th, 2018, one week until the midterm elections. I'm Charlie Sykes, joined by Andrew Egger and Jim Swift of the Weekly Standard. Gentlemen, we are seven days out. Do you think it's going to get any less crazy? No. Once we're done not. here, we're no going to get chance. like a, a momentary nope. breather, perhaps? Nope. No, 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 okay. no. Right. no. I, it, it, there's <laughs> no scenario in which things don't get more crazy, and I think you can see this. You know, I don't know if I've ever told you guys. I'm pretty sure I haven't. I did something um, rather bizarre right before the 2012 election. Um, that Remember that was when Republicans were really trying to talk themselves into believing that Mitt Romney was going to win that election. And there were, there were a lot of really smart people who were doing analyses showing that, uh, that you know, despite some of the national polls, that Obama was going down. Yes. I, I, I actually kept a diary, an online diary of what I was thinking and reading every single day for like the last three weeks because I was getting sucked into it. And and, and then I understood that, that I was beginning to believe that Romney was going to win in the face of pretty strong and compelling evidence, including Steve Hayes, who came on my radio show and said, no, Charlie, you're wrong. Obama's going to win. And I tried to sort of track what I was thinking, why I was thinking it. And I looked back on it. It was pretty cringeworthy stuff. But uh, maybe this podcast will be a way that we look back and think, what were you guys thinking was going to happen a week before the midterm elections? Did you have any idea X, Y, or Z? Which things were you looking at and which things were you ignoring? Because it, it, it's so hard. This is the moment where we all get drawn into the motivated reasoning. We look at the polls we want to see and we ignore things that may actually turn out to be the major trend. So I just I just I just throw that out. So let's just start off before we get into the midterms and there's a lot of speculation about whether the the polls are moving, whether there's a jump one way or another. The president is going to Pittsburgh today even as uh, the Jewish community is beginning to uh, bury its dead. And I don't know, I think I told you right before we started this was unprecedented and it's always a dangerous thing to say, but but the the local community is telling President Trump, don't come. Uh, some people are saying he's not welcome. No member of the congressional leadership is going with him. And uh, as far as I can tell, the mayor and the county executive, local elected officials are, are not going to be appearing with him. It's It's a remarkable moment when the president of the United States finds himself this isolated in a moment of national tragedy. Right. And, and I, yeah, Andrew, oh, hot take. Uh, yeah. I mean, ba basically just the, the thing that's happening here is that people have uh, largely realized that, you know, whatever Donald Trump's strengths may be handling himself uh, at a moment of sort of crisis when what is needed is sort of restraint and uh, empathy <laughs> and, uh, and all of those sorts of things. That's just, it's, he, he is never going to be that guy. He is not capable of being that guy. He's not capable of even staying on message, you know, uh, past, you know, he'll, he will read some, uh, you know, some big hearted sounding statement off of a teleprompter at some point uh, right after a tragedy. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, he'll be right back to stirring the pot again. And I think that uh, it, it's probably it's past time we should have realized that's always going to be the way that he is. But at least we are apparently now realizing it. Yeah, Jim. I, I think that it's, it is interesting, the isolation here. And, yeah. uh, you know, d despite the lies from Sarah Huckabee Sanders uh, from yesterday's podium saying, oh, the, you know, the first thing that the president did was, you know, try and unite us. The first thing the media did was uh, blame the president, which is like 
an absolute lie, total bullshit. It riled me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's the classic move, right? Where it's like, you know, there there are people on Twitter who, you know, pop and, off and some and people say and some people did things. it on TV. Julia Ayafi yesterday on CNN, you know, she she made some stupid remarks. She yeah, apologized. Yeah, there are cranks, but like th- that is th- not the first thing media did. The first thing media did was report on this. But uh, let's get back to Trump. Trump is isolated here, and this is an opportunity for him to show that he can be a uniter. Uh, you know, he, he 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 had some nice platitudes about why anti-Semitism is bad, and then he immediately started attacking Bill Kristol uh, and the Never Trumpers as fake news. You know, I mean, there was an anti-Semitic uh, shooter shut up the Holocaust Museum 12 years ago, and you know who was on his list? The Weekly Standard. The FBI had to come to our office. None of us were here for it. But, uh, I mean, the, the guy can't stop, stir, as Andrew said, stirring the pot. You're, you're, you're right. And I think it and is. It bo- and it bothers me. And it bothers me yeah. that some people in conservative media are like, I just can't believe that these, these, these reporters, these supposedly unbiased reporters are just quote tweeting President Trump and saying that, oh, gosh, you know, I mean. And this just comes right after a tragedy. It's stirring the pot. And if they had loved ones who like worked in an office like oh, this, yeah. that they were worried about, you know, people getting shot up and dying, which happens, uh, you know, maybe they wouldn't tweet such dumb things. But it, it, it frustrates the hell out of me. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm pretty angry about it. And it sort of just speaks to, you know, the our, our complete sort of national incapacity to, to, to process an event like this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when, when, you know, whoever you think is the offending party in the white house briefing room, um, it, what, what's always going to be the case until something changes after a tragedy like this is it's going to be the media are going to be asking, well, doesn't Donald Trump share some responsibility for this? And then Sarah Sanders saying, no, you guys are the ones who share responsibility for this. And the, you know, the reporter saying that's outrageous. And then Sarah Sanders saying you're outrageous. Yeah. And then, you know, there's no way to process and it it, just it builds and builds and builds and builds. It it, it does. Yeah, I I wrote over the weekend. This is an example of the derangement of the American mind that uh, you can you can just tell we're in the cycle that that no one's going to be looking in the mirror or having a serious debate. I also used to think that. And it's a cliche we tell one another that that a tragedy like this brings out the best in us, and, and to a certain extent it does. I mean, they don't want to. I don't want to downplay the the extraordinary you know compassion of people who are coming out of the woodwork. But on the other hand, we've really reached a point where tragedies like this also bring out the worst in us, and yeah. it is the you know how can I play the victim card? How can I point the finger at at one another? And and you're absolutely right. The, the what's happening today is is an is really an illustration of how isolated Donald Trump is, but also the recognition that he will never be the healer in chief, and he's not interested in being the healer in chief, and uh, that that whatever he reads from a teleprompter, he will uh, he will erase a few minutes uh, later. If I could just um, say I, what, I, one other I thing, also, Charlie, I, I also think that it, it's difficult to have this conversation about you know who's responsible, um, because. The, the reality is, is that words matter, ideas have consequences, and that we have seen a resurgence of this sort of anti-Semitic hate out there, and it has been tolerated and has been given oxygen by people who have trafficked in conspiracy theories. And this has always been a specter that has haunted the right. And I want to make it very clear, there's no question that there's a problem on the left as well. But this is something going back for decades that William F. Buckley Jr. recognized, the need to get rid of the anti-Semites, the crackpots, the conspiracy theorists. And unfortunately, those folks are back. The doors open for them. And I think that, you know, that's why 
when I wrote the piece about Donald Trump's problem with anti-Semitism and ours, you, you know, this is something that, that, you know, the successors of William F. Buckley are, are going to, assuming that there are any, and I'm not sure that there are, are going to have to deal with this again. Because, again, ideas have consequences. And in a nation of 350 million people, you are going to have unbalanced people who are going to believe this rhetoric. They're going to take it literally and seriously. And they can act in ways that are just horrific. And, and, we, and we ought to be aware of that. And that's why, we, you know, when you talk about the need for responsibility and responsible leadership, there are real consequences for irresponsible and reckless leadership. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's absolutely true. One other, one other thing that I uh, think is worth saying, you know, I, obviously we're 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 all taking a very sort of depressive view mm-hmm. of of this whole situation. I think with with good reason. But one thing that we should also keep in mind is that you know it doesn't necessarily look. Um, the way it does to us, you know, who are swimming in, in all of this unpleasantness, who are, you know, constantly plugged in to sort of the dysfunction of conversation, of, of governance and things here in Washington, we're constantly, you know, seeing wave after wave of this rolling on Twitter. Um, you know, it is sort of, un- we sort of as, as media people are unusually plugged into and attuned to and sort of battered by all of that unpleasantness. And I think it does lead us sometimes to overstate um, the, 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 the case for a thing like this. Just, just to go back to what you were saying about, you know, tragedies bring out the best in us and the worst in us. Um, you know, it, it is perhaps um, too easy to, to to be too depressed about about this sort of this sort of thing just for that reason. However, the the the, the, the counterpoint of that is, you know, we. It, it does hurt the country, even even the country, even the, the parts of the country that aren't as plugged into like a constant media barrage, um, not to be not to be able to have any sort of unifying narrative after yeah. a tragedy like this, where we are able to come together. You know, you, you have to have something to come together around in order for something like this to 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 be healing or to to be able to heal from something like this nationally, as opposed to just having, you know, uh, two camps that sort of heal independently and heal sort of in different ways that just sort of further uh, separate and and, uh, and and make it incapable for people no, to even that, talk that, to that, each that, other. You know it, what I mean? Here, that, that, is a, that is a great point. Look, I, w- I want to talk about uh, where we're going now in the last seven days, some of the races to look at. The president clearly uh, deciding he wants to close with the issue of immigration. We have to talk about that, what's happening with the caravan, what's happening with his proposal for uh, an executive order that he claims um, could undo birthright citizenship. But before we do that, the Daily Standard is brought to you today by RX Bar. And RX Bar set out to create a new kind of protein bar with a few simple, clean ingredients where every ingredient serves a purpose. Look, whether you like sweet or savory chocolate or fruit flavors, there's an RX Bar for you. It comes in 14 different flavors, mango, pineapple, chocolate, hazelnut, peanut butter and berries, chocolate, sea salt, chocolate, uh, coconut chocolate, mixed berry, and on and on. I mean, they are gluten-free, soy-free, dairy-free, guilt-free, no artificial colors, no artificial flavors, preservatives or fillers. And they are just great for a number of occasions. And I've talked about how I rely on them. I do not get on a plane. I do not take a trip without putting a bunch of them in my bag. Breakfast on the go, snack at the office, push you through that 3 p.m. slump, uh, toss it in your backpack for a bike ride or a hike. You can uh, eat them pre-workout or afterwards. The egg white protein stands out as a source of protein that is easy for your body body to absorb. So 
For 25% off your first order and free shipping, visit rxbar.com slash standard and enter promo code standard at checkout. That's rxbar.com slash standard and enter promo code standard at checkout for 25% off your first order. All right, let's pivot to uh, where we're at with the uh, with the midterm elections. You know, even as we're speaking, I, I mentioned when I started the podcast, you know, keeping kind of the running diary. We're at the moment now, the Tuesday before the election, where people are wondering, is there movement in the polls, um, you know, in the, in the favor of the Democrats because of the events of the last week? Uh, there's some suggestion that the president's approval rating has dropped uh, by you know, four points or more. Uh, there are reports that uh, you know, the playing field, the, the battlefield is expanding. And some of these House Republican races, they have a, a poll out of Arizona showing Kristen Sinema uh, with, with a six-point lead. We'll talk about uh, Missouri in a moment. The president has clearly decided that he is going to close by going hardcore on immigration. He continues to push the caravan issue, sending more troops down to the border. I think we have now more troops who have been deployed to the border than we have in fighting ISIS in Iraq. And then um, in the last 24 hours, he has said that he plans to issue an executive order that would end birthright citizenship, which basically is if you're born in the United States, you are a citizen. Uh, He uh, incorrectly said we are the only country in the world that allows that. That's not true. Uh, Birthright citizenship, uh, depending on where you want to go on this, uh, is either uh, embodied in the 14th Amendment to the Constitution. Uh, It has been upheld explicitly by the U.S. Supreme Court. But the president says that he's going to try to undo it with an executive order. So let's just start with the politics of this. Is is this a good is this a good issue? Is is this a sound strategy? There are people who say, look, this is what got him elected in 2016. Why not this year? I think it's a sound of a strategy. Charlie is saying that we're going to give the middle class and the the, the middle to low income people a a 10 percent tax cut between now and the election, which of course was a lie because he didn't even realize Congress was out of session until after the elections. He can try to do this, but I suspect it's going to go over just as well. I mean, this this sounds like a Stephen Miller Saturday night special. Um, it, it It's going to go over as well as the travel ban. Um, but unlike the travel ban, I don't think he could come up with different reiterations and reiterations and reiteration, reiterations of this after courts will strike this executive order if he goes through with it down. It's going to get struck down nearly immediately. He'll be like, look at this. The liberal courts are going after me again. But you it, it's a pretty it's it's I don't know the degrees it's it's you're it's you when if you're born here you're either a citizen or you're not there aren't like well maybe you're just a naturalized resident or maybe you automatically get a green card if your parents aren't American citizens it, there, there really aren't degrees of this like you could pull off with the travel ban uh so I don't know I yeah. I think it's a bad strategy to 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 but up until the last week I think Republicans, thought whatever they thought about the merits they thought that the emphasis on the caravan was working for them because it it it, it put up a you know picture uh, a narrative of the invasion of the country you know they're coming they're bringing crime you know they're dangerous they're uh, they're murderers they're rapists uh, oh, don't forget the diseases they're, they're bringing that leprosy say, they're bringing cholera and polio and all of the those those uh, those other things smallpox even which is smallpox. which was news to no, me what about what, sars exactly SARS still exists funded by george soros so you you have kind of the trifecta um, is I think it still you still working. I think you, you think, just Andrew? I think you just got at the problem, which is that you know, as as a uh, 
as an actual political issue, uh, it, it did lean, you know, in favor of Republicans for a while because it, it as we've talked about before on the podcast, it, it, it highlighted uh, the total dysfunction of immigration policy in among much of, you know, the left and even perhaps uh, some people in, in, in the middle of just saying, you know, like we, we have really no rubric by which we can distinguish, you know, illegal immigration from legal immigration. So having all of these, you know, this, this massive number of people just sort of like wanting to waltz into the country, uh, it, it obviously leaned in favor of Republicans for Democrats to have no sort of reasonable thing to say about that. However, uh, as this has become, you know, less of just like a pure political issue and more of a, an ideological thing, more of like a media messaging thing, uh, Republicans and, and Republican media have gotten so crazy about this with, with all the things you were just talking about, with all of the, uh, you know, the, 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 the Soros uh, conspiracy mongering, the fact that, you know, maybe there are like terrorists from the Middle East in the caravan, you know, and they're bringing drugs, they're bringing crime, they're bringing disease. And then uh, to have that all be at such such a heightened pitch, and then to have this guy who shot up this synagogue... Mm-hmm. To have to, to have the the you know the the connection there be so clear to have him say that you know I I decided I had to do this because uh, the Jews who are you know planning this caravan are trying to destroy our country. I mean it's it it's ins- like you you can still see how you know it, it it should look bad for Democrats not to have a reasonable thing to say about the caravan, but you can't. I mean it's it's so hard to see just sort of like regular people in 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 the middle what? who aren't particularly ideological thinking this leans for Republicans. Why do Democrats have to say reasonable things about the caravan when Republicans are going so far out of the way to be so entirely unreasonable? No, yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. If if, if Republicans had stayed sort of uh, contained and stayed sort of sober about all this and just said, look, like clearly we need a way to process people who are coming across the border illegally, that would be one thing. That's not what they've done. They've they've gone to all of these total conspiratorial, totally uh, explosive Mm -hmm. and and bad places that have made Democrats look, uh, you know, first have made Democrats look reasonable by comparison and second have inspired mass murder I mean I think that that is an important thing to note so that really flips the script yeah. I, oh my I, gosh. I think yeah. Democrats yeah. are following the Adam Schiff theory like when I worked on the Hill I always thought Adam Schiff I mean if you go back and look at clips and things like he was like on cable news he was like a hyperbolic you know super I mean partisan guy really yeah oh wait I mean we're talking like seven eight hmm. years ago it, hmm. it's it's night and day but when you know Devin Nunes in the House Republicans are acting so like strangely. I mean, granted, Schiff basically might as well have an office at CNN. <laughs> granted, how right. often he's on there, <laughs> but all he has to do is not look like an idiot and seems reasonable. Yeah, but you like, leave that lane completely unguarded when you when you <laughs> jump into all of this wild conspiratorial <laughs> you, stuff. You do. I guess you know it was interesting. You know, seeing Shepard Smith on Fox yesterday, um, very clearly saying, "Look, this is not an invasion. It is not a threat. They are not coming to take your things. There is nothing to be worried about." It was. I don't know whether you know that was a a, a shift or a you know a, a change in, in in tone. He's probably been pretty solid on this, but it is that moment you you take a deep breath and go, look, this is the United States of America, people. We're supposed to be um, you know powerful. You have five thousand people, mainly women and children and old people, walking. They're a thousand miles away. Let's imagine for the, for a second that that every one of them was 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 a young male with a gun. Um, we would be able to brush that threat aside with, without breaking a sweat. And yet we have the president of the United States and his media allies whipping us up into this real anxiety over this ragtag bunch of people. Look, with the United States of America, let's act like we've been here before. <laughs> We're going to be able to handle this. 
the threats that we're facing right now are not a thousand miles away in Mexico. And I think that goes to your point as well, Andrew. People are looking around and going, you know, we got some really serious problems here. Uh, the, the real threat to to our future, to to democracy, to maybe the safety of our loved ones, uh, you know, of our churches and our synagogues is right here. It is not out there. And the other thing is, in, and I, I think this was Dave, I want to give credit where credit is due. Dave Weigel uh, from the Washington Post tweeted this out that, you know, people are saying that that this is what this, this is the issue that that closed for Donald Trump. But he points out, you know, actually, there were a lot of other things in 2016, including Hillary's emails, the FBI, a lot of you know other issues that were going on. Right. Plus, Donald Trump actually was sort of adopted a calmer, more reasonable demeanor in the last 10 days of that election. It's really the opposite yeah, I, of what he is doing right now. I think that's a super important point. It really gets at the, 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 the difference between how the very end of the 2016 election played out sort of in real time, which was exactly like you say, that he sort of pulled back and made it about all of the baggage around Hillary Clinton, let her sort of drag herself down. But that is not how Trump uh, sees his own victory. That's not how he remembers it. That's not how he processes it. That's not how he uh, has. That, that's not the lesson that he internalized from it. The lesson he internalized from it was that you know the go 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 attack attack attack. Uh, you know stir the pot stir the pot stir the pot. Candidate that he was pretty much all along uh, was just who he needs to be. And you know that's the that's the thing he's doing now. Charlie, I want to I want to uh, a couple. Days ago, we we dropped a statistic about Ellis Island and comparing oh, yeah. in comparing this and Mona mm-hmm. Charon, uh, who who's a mm-hmm. listener to the podcast, put it in our column. Thanks for put, doing that, Mona. Thanks, uh, Mona. But here's an interesting statistic: How many people do you think foreign citizens overstayed their visas in the United States last year? Hmm. Seven hundred uh, seven hundred thousand. <laughs> so if you want to talk about a quote unquote invasion, a uh, hundred times as many people uh, were in the country illegally last year uh, came from airplanes. But I guess they're not poor and from South America. So it wasn't a problem. Yeah, this is the, the, the trick with with numbers that you can either through the media or through a demagogue, you can take some isolated cases or some small numbers and make it look like this is a massive threat. If we covered, for example, the number of people dying of, you know, of flu every year and compared it to the coverage we give people who are victims of shark attacks, can you imagine what what people's image of America would be? We're talking about, you know, tens of thousands of people. People are bad at math. Now, I, I know that some people are going to accuse us of uh, spending too much time beating up on, on conservatives, but what I else is new? One, oh, boo-hoo. Well, but but I do think this is a really important point. And I mentioned William F. Buckley earlier. Um that you know, part of the real responsibility in this age is to police our own side, to basically say, look, if we want to be credible, if we want to go back to a reasonably rational politics, each side has to, you know, has to has to police its own borders. And, and I'm not sure, by the way, that the left does that very effectively. And I think the Weekly Standard has done some remarkable things. And you two gentlemen had an incredible weekend bookending what happened. And I do think that. Yeah. Talk about stirring I, the I, pot. Holy if, cow. <laughs> if I if I was, uh, you know, having to do a, an, another version of how the right lost its mind, the the events of the last week are really illustrative of the way in which that conspiracy theory mentality has gone from Alex Jones, who was quasi mainstreamed and now being picked up by other members of the conservative media. And I'm talking about the immediate reaction last week after those bombs were were discovered the number of folks 
who at one time I think all of us might have thought of as in some ways credible. We'll come back to that in a moment. Who, as you pointed out, Jim, had become the children of Alex Jones and immediately began pushing the narrative this was a false flag. And you documented it. Then, Andrew, over the weekend, you went back and said, well, what are they saying now? All of the folks like Ann Coulter and Dinesh D'Souza and Rush Limbaugh, you know, how, how are they handling the fact that, that they were completely wrong about all of that? So, you know, now that we have a few days away from this, what does it say about, you know, where we're at that so many people, and these are influential voices on the right, uh, Fox News, talk radio, uh, on the Internet, who were willing to embrace, instead of, you know, saying, hey, let's take a deep breath and find out what the facts are, they immediately jumped for an Alex Jones-like false flag theory. Yeah, I mean, you you could make the case that it's just you know it's 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 part of you know uh, the 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 different media camps getting more siloed, more isolated, more echo chamber esque, uh, or even you know you could say that you know this is just evidence of people's you know brains melting as they spend more time on Twitter and they just get more conspiratorial or whatever. I think, but I think the biggest thing is not is it's it's actually sort of different from the Alex Jones impulse where Jones is just you know a total hack. I mean, total grifter doesn't clearly doesn't <laughs> have any faith in anything that he says uh, in any of the, any of the products he sells anything like that I, and I don't think that's necessarily true of some of these people maybe Dinesh D'Souza guys like that I, you know you could you could make the argument but uh, but I, I think more of what this has been is just that that people have gotten it specifically in the past couple of years uh, they've adopted this stance of always you know n- never showing restraint never sort of uh, refraining from you know making the hot take or whatever um, and then also never admitting uh, that they were wrong or that they went the wrong direction or, or anything like that. And, and the, the confluence of those two things is that as long as, you know, there's a take to be had about like, well, isn't it interesting that all this guy, you know, the stickers on this guy's van's windows oh, uh, where he goodness. liked, uh, you know, yeah. all this, this sort of shrine to Donald Trump. Isn't it interesting that the shrine to Donald Trump looked like it was kept up too well, weird, false flag, you know, you, 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 you can't uh, refrain <laughs> from going there. And then once you've gone there, you're stuck there. You can't back out of it because that would be admitting you were wrong. That would attack, be admitting. Attack, attack. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and that, and that's where you end up. You end up in a place where you're functionally indistinguishable from a guy who's a complete hack. And that's just, you know, that you, you might not be as disingenuous, but, but you're just as much of a hack at that point. You're just as misleading. You're just as, you know, uh, damaging. At, to... one, at one time, at one time, Jim, the reason that people wouldn't have done that is because they cared about their credibility. And if they did something like this, they would burn through it. Obviously, the risk reward structure has changed. Well, and I think uh, is, you're right about the risk reward structure, specifically on the right, that in the past, there were people on the right, going back to Buckley and National Review and the Birchers and, and, and whatnot, but there were people on the right who'd be like, no, that's bullshit. You shouldn't be speculating. And they would call them out on it. And, you know, if, if people of certain prominence, I mean, I'm not, no offense to Andrew or, or you know, mm-hmm. we're not. Who are we? Who are, yeah, who are we? We're not especially yeah. prominent people. I mean, you, you're you're more pr- prominent than we are, Charlie. But uh, I, I think you're prominent. <laughs> you're you're on the Daily Standard podcast. Okay, that's fair. That's yeah. fair. But but people on the right of, pro- of 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 certain prominence would call out other people on the the right. Uh, for making bullshit speculative uh, conspiracy theories, and 
over time, I, you know, I mean, there's this age old joke like you just you guys just, you know, your Georgetown cocktail parties. Uh, (laughs) You know, I mean, but but cruises, cruises, ahoy. (laughs) Uh, But but no, but there's but there is a certain truth to that sort of uh, insert mindset within conservative media. Like, you know, I I can't I I really can't criticize so and so because, you know, God forbid, maybe I might want to write for their blog someday or who knows? Like, you never know who you're going to work with. But. I'm just going to tolerate their craziness. But I, I think at, at some point, I mean, there's, you know, the joke about red pilling. I think a lot of people on the right at some point get hip to the fact that like, no, a lot of these people are crazy and you shouldn't be uh, ignoring their craziness. You shouldn't be uh, kowtowing to it. You shouldn't uh, pretend like it doesn't exist. You should speak out against it. And, well, yeah. and, and, and you know, I I, th- I think as, as much, uh, you know, criticism and um as as they deserve these 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 folks who are engaging in the false flag, I, I, it's, it's worth reminding one another that there are people out there who probably still believe this that that these are influential people who actually can influence people to believe things that are just absolutely not true. Yeah, well, and, and there's a real danger to doing this. So Andrew, uh, looking back on who is who is the worst, who is the worst actor? If we had to give an award. Oh Anybody? man, uh, you're you're really putting me on the spot here. I mean, I I I, I think Dinesh D'Souza is about as big of a crank as uh, as you could possibly uh, Ever have green. there. Ever yeah, green. I mean, I mean, like uh, we we I I got a little guff because Ann Coulter was like the the header image of of my piece, and mm-hmm. she was not by she was like by far not the the, the crankiest crank out there. But you're living um, rent free in her head. Yeah, right. Mark, I don't, I don't know. The, we're at a moment when Ann Coulter is not the crankiest. Yeah, right, crank. right. And 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 there were there were some people like uh, like a uh, good old Geraldo Rivera. Um, who uh, who were speculating about it, and and he he was the only one out of all of them that I saw who sort of actually walked it back. Like my bad, I was wrong. He had this he had this really. I, I, how did he phrase it? I think he said I outsmarted myself, uh, but, but uh, speculating about it ahead of time. But but I think that you, uh, if I could go back just just a little bit, Charlie, to something you were saying a minute ago, I think you really hit 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 the nerve um, when when you talked about the, the the issue of credibility and how you know perhaps in a in a, in a previous sort of media environment, a person would actually be more respectful Expected for 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 walking back an earlier claim for admitting they were wrong for admitting right. you know that they, they had messed up. I think that we we sort of have a perverse incentive structure now on a lot of the right where to do that at all to to walk back at all uh, is is not to burnish your own credibility. It's to it's to be a cuck. You know that that's literally what that what that term means is in 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 this usage is to to sort of like buckle to sort of you know allow those outside pressures to to yeah. squash you. Yeah, to show any kind of weakness at all. And and I think that you know for for a lot of these people, their their fan base, uh, at least a critical mass of them, uh, is people who demand that you never cuck, that you never show any kind of weakness, that you never take your foot off the accelerator. And that's a you know that that perverse incentive incentive is there for them never to do that we really uh, have the, the a lot of the right has really become a Nietzschean movement which is all about uh, the strength the the Superman rather than uh, than statesmanship or any sort of you know character and and it, it is this emphasis on and you, and you see this and there's a whole bunch of people who built uh, entire identities around just you know we are winning we're gonna smash the other guy and even if that means uh, you know spreading a false rumor okay let's uh, now we are again a week out from the midterm elections, and it increasingly looks 
like it's going to be one of these, uh, uh, you know, two different America results. We've said this before. Uh, the Senate looks like it's uh, pretty solidly Republican, perhaps a pickup. Uh, the House of Representatives, who the heck knows? But uh, Democrats uh, seem to be poised. I never underestimate their ability to uh, blow this. Seem to, you know, be poised to uh, pick up in the area of 30 seats or so. But again, who knows whether there's any last minute break. Uh, but some of the these key Senate races, um, assuming that the state level polls are more accurate than they were, they have been in the past. Uh, Andrew, you have been really doing deep dives on Missouri, one of the really crucial races where Claire McCaskill is, you know, always hanging on by her fingernails. Uh, things have not been breaking well with for her, at least it looks that way from where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. So you tell me what the state of play is in Missouri, because, of course, if Josh Hawley wins there, that is a big, big pickup for Republicans and pretty much drives a uh, stake through the heart of any Democratic chance to take control of the Senate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we we don't know what the uh, what the impact of some of these same national stories that we've been talking about uh, will be in Missouri. Uh, and, you know, we, hopefully we'll find out a little bit more about that over the next couple of days. But just in terms of the sort of statewide issues, you know, local issues and things like that, um, it really has looked over the past couple of uh, days, maybe be a week that, that Claire McCaskill is really sort of uh, imploding over there. And I mean, it, it may not end up mattering. It's it's still going to be a really uh, close race. Um, it's, it's supposed to be one of the closest, although now actually some... Uh, uh, some pollsters and, and and predictors and people like that are actually moving this into the the the, the lean Republican uh, slate uh, because of some of these things. I mean, the, the the big thing that that has had McCaskill going is that she's had a, a real problem capturing moderates in the state, uh, which is obviously you know a nightmare scenario for her because the state leans Republican. The state went for Donald Trump by 19 points in 2016. You know, it, you she's she's the incumbent. She's won re-election. She's won two elections before, but she's the one fighting that particular uphill battle. If she can't get a certain number of Republicans and independents to come to her, she's sunk. And that's where she's been running into problems because I, I and maybe we've talked about this on the podcast before, I don't remember, but she ran this ad uh, about a week ago that was targeting rural uh, moderates and Republican voters. Basically, it, the, the the money line was Claire's not one of those crazy Democrats. Um, and, and Republicans have Classic. been slamming her for that. You know, uh, <laughs> some of her Democratic base has been absolutely pounding her for that. You know, a couple of... Uh, 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 sort of bomb throwing uh, progressive uh, state uh, senators uh, from St. Louis specifically have just been crucifying her nonstop since that ad started. You know, just just last night she she gave an interview. Uh, McCaskill gave an interview to Fox News where they were like, "Okay, so who are some of those crazy Democrats?" And she kind of hemmed and hawed, and she was like, "Well, I don't want to call any of my colleagues crazy, but you know, Elizabeth Warren and I have disagreed on a lot of things. Bernie Sanders and I have disagreed on a lot. Of, I mean, it's just you, you can't make this stuff up. It's not it's not the the signs of a person who's running a winning campaign right now. Oh, was, wasn't wasn't there some insinuation, Andrew, that uh, McCaskill's ad was referring to uh, progressives in St. Louis City and St. Louis County who might have been like like African-American elected officials. Yeah, who... I mean, that's that's definitely how they took it. And I mean, like it's it, it, there's really nothing else that you could possibly imagine, you know, sort of as a statewide issue for it to be because, you know, you have these this really progressive stronghold in St. Louis uh, and then this sort of more purplish area in Kansas City on the other side of the state. And then the rest of the state is red. So what I mean, the the, the Democrats in the state sort of or in the in St. Louis sort of mm -hmm. rightly pointed out, you know, 
like who else could she possibly be talking about but us? <laughs> well, and 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 it, there's also the the fact that you know we all know that Missouri, just as a state, is a place that has had you know difficulties with with these racial tensions over the past you know five or ten years. Ferguson sort of looming large, and 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 I I, I said this in in some of the pieces that I've been writing is just that even within the Democratic Party, that's a thing that's been uh, really 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 sort of wearing at the edges of sort of the the, the white Democrats more from Kansas City, more African American Democrats from St. Louis, not always uh, getting along super well. Here, here, here's yeah. a, here's a thought. And Andrew's a Missouri native, and I'm a former Missouri mm-hmm. resident. And this might be a little too inside baseball. One of the state senators is named Maria Chappelle Nadal, yeah, and she's, she's from the... University City. She was actually, I believe, my senator. Oh wow! Uh, or maybe it was my House member at the time, or state House member when I lived there. She has always hated McCaskill. Yes, and they've never gotten along. So I think maybe McCaskill's strategy maybe was thinking, well. This is how I appeal to moderates, maybe some conservatives and independents to say, like, look, I'm not like, you know, Maria Chappelle Nadal, who I believe was calling for like reparations on the, yeah. the floor no, of the she, And she, she is a bomb thrower. Uh, Chappelle Nadal, she, she, she caught she caught a lot of flack last year because she she uh, like tweeted out that she wanted President Trump to be assassinated. Oh, I um, remember that. And, yeah. and, and McCaskill uh, said that she should resign over that. So yes. there's certainly no love lost between these people. And, and that this goes back, obviously, even before the crazy. So now Republicans thing. are trying to turn turn this ad is a like a vote um, I wouldn't say voter suppression but maybe a you know a, a way to be like well I mean geez I mean because if you're a Democrat what are you going to do like if you're a diehard Democrat who's between uh, Maria Chappelle Nadal and Claire McCaskill what are you going to do vote for Josh Hawley right I mean right. they're they're just trying to like make the base so sick of all of this that they're just kind of like eh right which is yeah. sadly going well, around in politics everywhere and thanks I mean, it, to the president and it, 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 it might it might work I mean there's there's gonna be an, an effect to that I mean, it's, yeah. an, it's an unforced error from McCaskill except in the sense that you know she obviously felt like she needed to do something drastic to try to bring over some of these moderates um, yeah. but the fact I that it was that just doesn't seem like a winning I mean yeah the fact that it was just one radio ad I mean mm-hmm. surely there can't mm-hmm. be as much you know movement in the area you want with one radio ad as there has been in the other direction with this whole backlash it really really doesn't feel like she's you know in it in, in the driver's seat right now well later this week we'll talk with uh, david byler about a lot of these other um races on on the on the edge what's happening in in arizona where uh, democrats think they have a chance for a pickup uh, nevada where they thought that they had a chance for a pickup uh, it looks like uh, the dakotas are pretty much uh, gone uh, indiana very much in play now since it's a week out from the the election um People keep asking me about what I think is going to happen in in Wisconsin, and and my answer is is basically, you know, you tell me what the electoral turnout is, what the model is, and I'll tell you who's going to win. But I will say this: there was a debate between Scott Walker and his opponent Tony Evers uh, over the weekend, and I have to say, Tony Evers probably it was one of the worst performances I've ever seen in the <laughs> debate. I mean, it, this guy is is the anti charisma candidate. It is uh, it is uh, r- hard to imagine. That uh, that he's going to generate any enthusiasm, but it may not matter because if there's a huge Democratic wave, then people aren't going to be voting for Tony Evers, uh, and and that's and that's of course the the challenge. But where do but political it, parties find these people? I mean, you, you'd well, think somewhere a, in the state is a charismatic God. Democrat who. Uh, who wants to beat Scott Walker and has some policy chops? And I mean, boat. You, you see this. All, I mean, it seems like thirty percent of of candidates for office are just D 
deeply lame all the time. Uh, would you, would you want to run for office? Well, that is, I mean, the, yeah, that's the thing. He's deeply lame, and people used to make fun of Milwaukee Mayor Tom Barrett for being kind of lackluster running against uh, Walker twice. You know, he looks like, I mean, he looks like Clarence Darrow compared to Tony Evers. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean Milwaukee is going to win. We have to, like, pay elected officials more or something. We need to incentivize I, I believe in that. <laughs> what about view so, me there? What you do you think our chances Democrats. are? And I just want to just throw this in because there's a story that came in my inbox this morning, and you were mentioning your crazies in uh, in, in Missouri. We have the the crazies in uh, in Wisconsin are generally in Madison, and that's the, the you know a Madison liberal. Last night, the Madison school board was supposed to vote on the budget. Now, the Madison school board is an overwhelmingly liberal body. You can imagine. I don't think there's probably a single conservative on that board. But right, right. in fact, the president of the school board is the former. Uh, lackluster Democratic candidate for governor in Wisconsin, Mary Burke. So it's like the D.C. City Council. Well, okay. So, but protesters showed up and, you know, made such a a ruckus that they forced the board to delay a vote on the budget. And the protesters were yelling and screaming that their issue was they were opposed to uh, continuing to station police officers at Madison high schools. These these uh, um, education resource officers who are uniformed police officers who are there to protect the students and and the teachers. There are I think there's like just a handful. There's like four high schools that have these educational resource officers. And the protesters came in saying that having police officers in the school makes students of color feel unsafe because police officers are so are so dangerous. And this is the issue that forced the Madison School Board to not have a vote. So when you're talking about crazy liberals in Wisconsin, gentlemen, this would be exhibit number one. It's inter- it is interesting to me that sort of nationally the, the issue of you know, the police has sort of fallen off. I mean, like it's, it's, it's sort of tangentially referred to anytime uh, Republicans sort of try to whip up uh, anger over, you know, kneeling at NFL games and things like kneeling for the anthem. But it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that because this is an issue that's definitely still motivating a lot of, uh, a lot of movement on the, specifically on the progressive left, the the issue of police brutality and, you know, uh, over police presence and things like that, but it's it's just it's sort of interesting how little uh, that registers nationally these days. I just I, I have no I have no uh, takeaway from that. I just I don't think there's a lot. I don't think there's a lot of people to move. I think just intrinsically before all of the right, you know right. these bad policing things happened, uh, there was an overwhelming support for police, which is not to discount people in the black community or you know other minority communities that might not have good experiences or a good view of police, but. Just statistically, most people had a pretty good view of police. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of people now are a little bit more hashtag woke about uh, these things after, you know, the the high profile deaths uh, unnecessarily of many people. But at the end of the day, I think most people still support the police. I mean, just like they support the military, even if they don't agree with the war. Right. Thinking, yeah. Right. Thinking about the, the, you know, what we had over the last week, um, the particularly after the shootings in in Pittsburgh. Usually, what happens after something like that is we have the the usual kabuki dance gun control debate that never goes anywhere. You'll notice that even though, you know, you did have this uh, mass shooting, the worst uh, shooting of uh, of Jews in American history. The focus was not on the guns; it was on the hate, and uh, that that is interesting. This is one. There's a there's a different fallout, and of course. You can't have an you know anti anti bomb movement out there. Yeah, but that's that's super it, interesting. I, I I had not even a that had not registered to me that, that we haven't really had any talk about about gun control uh, in in the wake of this thing. But it's there. I mean, it's it, it's always it's always under there. But as Jim points out, that moves nobody. It's you know right. we've gone through the debate. 
so many times. You know exactly what both sides is going to say, and you know exactly what the result is going to be. So that's what makes the fallout from the Pittsburgh massacre so different, because now we are talking about the culture, hate, ideas, and speech, as opposed to simply the hardware. So we'll see whether that uh, that changes anything. We are one week out, and we will continue to to monitor this. And you'll be able to afterwards, you'll look back and go, okay, what was I saying the week before the election? Well, this is it. Hey, thank you for uh, joining me today, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. And we will do this all over again.